So we have these great words that are in our uh, vocabulary today, words like transgender, gender dysphoria, intersex, non-binary, all words that up until probably 10 years ago, we were like, what? But there are words that are everywhere today, and as we continue this series on human sexuality, a gift from God, um, we're going to talk about those words. We're actually going to be talking about identity, because that's what really is at the root here, is identity. And we're actually going to be wrapping up this series next Sunday uh, for a couple of reasons. We're coming into Easter, and the reality is there's so much that we could talk about, but I want to encourage you to do some work. Um, on our website at crossroadsforchrist.com, if you go to the message page, there's a whole list of resources. There's books to read, there's a couple of websites to visit, that type of thing. One of the websites on there is the centerforfaith.com, which is run by a man named Dr. Preston Sprinkle, who I have uh, much respect for. Uh, the Center for, of Faith, Center for Faith Ministry, they hold to a historical orthodox view of human sexuality, meaning one man, one woman, uh, one flesh. And so everything you read on there, you can know it's going to come from that angle. And at the same time, he challenges us, and he has other writers on there that challenge us. Because the, um, though the truth of one man, one woman, one flesh doesn't change, how we minister to people, we always have to be learning and growing in how we relate to the world around us. So, then I want to challenge you to be careful to the social media and the radio and the news media you're listening to for any of this stuff, because a lot of that is very one-sided and... Um, they, they have their talking points. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to make sure that uh, you are doing thorough, thorough study. And I can't do it for you, but here are some places that you can go to deal with those issues or learn more. Our mission as a church is impacting people. That includes the LGBTQ plus people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. And I think that's the hardest part. How do we love people who are wrestling with things that we don't understand? Because part of that loving people is our goal um, is to introduce them to Jesus. I can't change him. You can't change them, so let's stop trying to change them, and let's introduce them to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to do the changing. Our statement around human sexuality is faithfulness in heterosexual marriage, celibacy and singleness. This constitutes the Christian standard. This statement is from our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. It's our position as a church. It's my position it's understanding that biblical marriage is one man, one woman, 
one flesh. And it's also understanding that there is a role in singleness. There is a gift, and John talked about that last week, John Meter. So how do we as followers of Jesus Christ, with this as our stance, which is very contrary to our world around us, how do we love people who hold a different view? Some of the things that we've talked about in the past, that I just want to do a quick, quick review because it's been a while, and I encourage you, if you haven't listened to all the messages, to go back and listen to some of them, because one of the things that we talked about, if in this conversation of human sexuality, a gift from God, what makes a difference is the answer to these foundational questions. Who is God? What is the Bible? What is the role of the church? And what about spiritual warfare? How you answer those questions also impacts how you respond to the question on human sexuality. And how the person you talk to answers those questions impacts the conversation. So, for example, okay, I can believe that the Bible is God-breathed. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It is truth. It is what I live my life by. It is what I determine the answer to human sexuality, a gift from God, what it is, okay? But if I'm talking to somebody who thinks the Bible is just some old book, has no relevance today, it's not going to work for me to say, the Bible says, because they're going to go, so? Who cares? So this is all about when you're in conversation with people, know your audience. Know who you're talking to. Because your conversation should change according to who you are talking with. It's part of what Paul was saying that when I'm with the Jews, I'm like the Jews. When I'm with the Gentiles, I'm like the Gentiles. I do all things to all people that through all means I might win some. Okay, I really messed that up in a moment. (laughs) But you get my point. The whole point is, if I'm talking to somebody who has no relationship with God, doesn't think the Bible is relevant today, then bringing out the Bible and start talking about verses in the Bible is not going to matter. The other thing is, like, what about spiritual warfare? That's going to impact how you handle this and any other situation. Do you believe that we're in spiritual warfare? For many of us, even in the church, we're not really sure. We know, because we read the Bible, that there's an evil one, and we see stories of that, but really, does does Satan have any impact on Christians? Does that... Satan really have any impact on the church? Even as we talk about human sexuality, um, there's a spiritual battle going on. That again, informs how we approach this topic and everything else. The other thing we talked about is some research that was done around the LGBT community and the church. And there's a whole bunch of stats that I listed. And again, you can go back and watch that. But um, here's what the statement that we came away from that is this. It's not the church's theology that's driving LGBTQ people away. By their own admission, it's the church's lack of love and care. Again, um, it's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. If you take what you know and you pound people over the head with what you know, they're going to walk away from you. 
The other thing we talked about is uh, what is a biblical marriage? And we went through, uh, we went back to the beginning, to Genesis 1 and 2, and the conversation was, is marriage just, you know, two consensual adults, no matter what their gender, what their sex, is that marriage? Or is marriage between two people of opposite genders, one male and one female? So we did look at what was God's original design, went back to Genesis 1 and 2, and we came up with this, that biblical marriage is one man, one woman, one flesh. And this is the theme that is carried out through the Bible. This is God's original design. It's his desire. And since the fall, it all got messed up. But we see even in Paul's words in Ephesians 5, it's, it's the same thing. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. One man, one woman, one flesh. Dr. Preston Sprinkle, when he talks about talking with other people about human sexuality or marriage, biblical marriage or not, he talks about three important questions that you ask a person. One is, how do you define marriage? Second question, where did you get that definition from? And how does Scripture inform your definition of marriage? Why is this important? Okay, because when you ask questions, you're communicating to the person you're with that you want to listen and understand and you care about them. But when you come and you start saying, here's my belief and here's where I am, and you just pound through your talking points, you shut down, walk away, they're done. So you ask, how do you define marriage? And no matter what they say, uh, yeah, I think marriage is between two consensual adults. It doesn't matter whether they're male or female. Then you just thought, so where do you get that definition from? Well, it's just something I think of. I, I just believe that way. Okay, that's fine. That's fine for them. Okay, but, but now you know where they're coming from. If they say, well, that's just the way I interpret the Bible, or I get it from the Bible, or whatever, then you follow up. How does Scripture inform your definition of marriage? Show me in Scripture. Now, what you've done is you've taken yourself off the hook, they have to go and tell you. They, they have to tell you where it's from. They, now you're in a dialogue back and forth. It's never really good to be argumentative with a person because it shuts down conversation quickly. And when we're talking to people, especially people outside of church, the bigger goal is introducing them to Jesus. That's what we want to do. It's not to correct their theology. We also talked about there's four things that um, were destroyed by the fall that Jesus restored. Relationship with God, relationship between man and woman, abundant life, and eternal life. And you see this in the story. Adam and Eve, mankind, the relationship between them and God was severed. They were kicked out of the garden. The relationship between the man and the woman was severed, and we see that in the story. Abundant life. They were in the garden. They didn't have a need. Now they're out, and they're having to work for everything. Eternal life. The tree of life they were separated from. Now Jesus came, and he brought life. Eternal life. Jesus restored everything. 
And then last week, John Meter talked about to wed or not to wed. And the main thing that I picked up from John's message last week is that celibacy is a gift. It's charisma. And you see, sometimes we think that the pinnacle of the Christian life is to get married and have kids. It's important, yes. But if you are single, if God has called you to be single, even if you don't want to be single, but you're single, that doesn't mean you're only living half a life. Live your life fully. Because right now that singleness, that celibacy, is charisma. That'll rethink, right? One of the books that I read was by Dr. Julie Slaughtery, Rethinking Sexuality, and she said this. She said, Revival will come not through outrage and self-righteousness, but by the genuine response of grief over pain and destruction. It will come when we begin to say, Lord, send me. Are you grieving? Because there's people out in our world who are suffering and they have no idea where to turn? Or are you angry? Because two men can get married. Now, it doesn't mean we don't be angry about that. I mean, I'm not saying that, but what, what is your driving emotion? This morning, we're going to talk about identities. Male and female. And as we get into this, I want to revisit a couple of those words that I pointed out at the beginning of the message. Just give some definition around them. The word transgender is a person who feels like they're trapped in the wrong body. That's a simple definition. So when you hear the word transgender, they just feel like they're trapped in the wrong body. Um, and they're, they're a man physically, but they feel like they're a woman. And so they feel trapped in their body. So when you hear transgender, that's what you hear. Gender dysphoria is a new term that psychologists use, and it's a way of measuring the level of stress somebody experiences with this feeling of being trapped. For some, it is so filled, their life is so filled with anxiety that it causes them to do things that we go, wow, that really doesn't make sense. Intersex is a term used to describe someone who is born with some atypical features in their sexual anatomy. Things aren't normal, physically, in their genitalia or other areas. Um, the Bible references people who are intersex and calls them, um, um, God, my brain just went dead. Unix, thank you. <laughs> um, Non-binary gender identities. These are all the different genders that people talk about. There's gender queer, gender fluid, pan gender, 
gender non-conforming, and the list seems to keep growing. But that's non-binary gender, gender identities. Binary meaning two, by. Um, so binary means there's two genders, male, female. Non-binary mean, means that there's, there's a whole bunch of genders. Sex simply refers to one's biological sex, their body, the physical part of their body, and, you know, that a man has a Y chromosome and a woman doesn't have a Y chromosome. And then gender, which used to be, when most of us were growing up, gender and sex used to be tied together. It was one thing. So whether you talked about sex or gender, you were talking about whether somebody was male or female. So sex now is more biological, and gender is some kind of way somebody is experiencing life or experiencing their identity. I, I may be in a male physical body, but I'm experiencing my gender. I experience is female. So sex is bodily and biological. Gender is how we express that in the social world. So what do we do with all of this, right? Are you confused yet? Again, um, the Center for Faith website strongly encourage you to go there. Uh, there are some great pastoral papers, they call them. They're, past, they're, they're papers that are written theologically, but they're written so the layperson can understand them theologically. And there's many papers in there, and they go into depth about a lot of this stuff. And they talk about the different... You know, this is what this side believes, and then here's the pushback. Well, here's the pushback here, and it's all biblical-based and scriptural. So if you want more clarity on this, because I'm just scratching the surface for us, okay, um, then uh, that would be my highly recommended uh, place to go. So the question for today is, what does the Bible say about our identity as male and female? So we're going to go where we always go to the beginning, to God's original design in Genesis chapter 1, starting verse 26. We're going to read 26, 27, 28. And this is what the author to Genesis said, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The genre here in Genesis is poetry. And if we were understood Hebrew and we were reading this in Hebrew, we would see that it is poetry. But there are three details that are given. Okay, my thing unhooked, but now it's hooked up again. So I think we're good. The three details that we see here in Genesis 1 is this. We are made in God's image. We are commanded to rule. 
and to increase and multiply, and we are created as male and female. I want us to look again at verse 27. Notice this, that it says that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Imagine again that being in a poem, a Hebrew poem. It might be a little more sing-songy or something. The words might rhyme a little better, all right? But what I want us to know here is this. Um, Our sex differences are part of what it means to reflect the image of God. So I want want you to see how this works. So you see, first it says, so God created mankind in his own image. Okay, so mankind created in the image of God. We got that? Pretty clear, right? Yes, thank you. Appreciate that. Then it says, in the image of God, he created them. Okay, so in the image of God, he created them. Re-emphasizing what he just said, but just a little twist, and we realize that there's a them. Now we want to know what the them is. Well, thankfully, our poet tells us the, the them. Male and female, he created them. So it's like in this poem, our author is saying, mankind is in the image of God, This mankind is male and female, therefore, male and female are created in the image of God. Male and female reflect the image of God. So, in my maleness, I reflect the image of God. In Terry's femaleness, she reflects the image of God. Now, because there's two sexes here, male and female, and they reflect the image of God, does that mean that God is a sexed being? Is God male and female, or male or female? Well, that's a great question. We're not going to dive into that completely But it doesn't necessarily mean that, because what do we know about God? Well, John 4.24 says this, that God is spirit. Now, God is spirit. It's a little hard for us, in the flesh, in our finite being, to fully grasp what it means that God is spirit or someone is is spirit. It's just hard. But we need to understand something, and that is this, that the description that we have of God is primarily, mainly, all the way through Scripture, utilizing male pronouns. That was, in part, to help us understand or begin to get an idea of God. And then, in this Trinitarian aspect of God, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, 
is God literally a father? Well, we, we can talk through that and we can think, well, God created everything, so everything was birthed out of him, you know, so it came from him. Sure, yes. Is God literally a son? Well, you know, Jesus, Son of God, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, because Jesus, well, Jesus came from God, but yet Jesus was with God from, I don't know. The main point I want us to understand is that the Bible, in all of its genius, used these words to give us a picture of the characteristic of who God is. It doesn't mean that God is male. And it doesn't mean that God is female. What we do know is God is spirit. And all through Scripture, he is called Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And that helps us understand some qualities about God. Mark Cortez, who is a specialist in theological anthropology, writes this. Although recognizing that God is not a sexually differentiated being as humans are, we can affirm that human sexuality mirrors something important about the divine nature. So just because, whether it is important that God is really male for you, Father, is as less important as to understand no matter where you are in this picture of who God is, we reflect God in our sexual identity. Again, in all my maleness, I reflect God. In all Terry's femaleness, she reflects God. Cortez goes on, that human sex difference displays both Otherness and sameness and the drive toward relational bonding, something we also see in the triune God. What he's, what he's trying to tell us is this. What we see in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is that there is an otherness about God, meaning there are other parts to God. God is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's also a sameness to God, meaning they are all one. Otherness, sameness. So too, that is reflected in the male-female mankind that is created in the image of God. There is an otherness to us, male-female In their sameness to us, we are all mankind created in the image of God. And we see, just like we see the full picture of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see also the full picture of God, male, female, as they interact with each other. I know some of you are probably sitting there going, what? Oh, wow, this is, what is Brad really talking about here? But I hope you get the picture. And and, and the whole idea is to help us to understand that in my maleness, I reflect the image of God. 
In Terry's femaleness, she reflects the image of God. In this room, if you are male, you reflect the image of God. If you are female, you reflect the image of God. And there's one caveat to this, and that is this. We have to remember that much of what we picture in our minds of what a male is and what a female is, is cultural. Okay, so in our culture, we sometimes have this picture of male, of this big, burly guy with lots of muscles, a gun, and he's going to attack the world. That's only a partial picture of what it means to be male. I don't think Jesus would fit that picture. And Jesus was fully male. Same too, female. Our, our picture of a female is this submissive at the home, wearing pink and, you know, doing the hair and the makeup and all that kind of stuff and just wants to be home. That, that's primarily culturally influenced. What, what I'm trying to say is, when we talk about male and female, let's not pigeonhole male and female into my perceived, culturally defined categories of what that means. We, we are going to help our world if we understand that there's a broader spectrum to what it means to be male. And there's a broader spectrum to what it means to be female. And I encourage you, men, to read your gospel and look at Jesus. Again, Jesus does not fit our cultural view of what it means to be a man. Those are some words that'll push. There's one more thing I want to talk about, helping us understand that our identity as male and female reflects Christ, and that is this. Our sex difference is considered sacred. We see in Genesis chapter 2 when uh, the woman is created, we read this in Genesis 2. It says this, so the Lord caused man to fall asleep into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The word rib translated there in Hebrew is the Hebrew word selah. And despite how it's familiar in most of our translations to do some kind of rib word or from the side word, sila is used over 40 times in other passages in the Old Testament, and it never refers to rib. What it refers to is the side of a sacred piece of architecture, like a tabernacle or a temple. Now let this, think about this a moment. If man is created and man is in the image of God, if man is a temple of God, and if we think even today we have the Holy Spirit within us, we are in essence a temple of God, then 
the woman is created out of the side of that sacred object, out of the side of Adam's body. And so now, the woman is also a sacred piece of architecture that radiates God's presence in the world. So when it comes to our identities as male and female, we in essence are all equally housing the Spirit of God because we are sacred, because Jesus has made that us that way. And so when we come to talk about our identities and our maleness and femaleness, we need to remember we are in the image of God and we are sacred place, a place that hosts the presence of God in this world. Our sex difference of male and female is part of God's original design. Yes, um, yeah, and, and so this, this just wraps up what I just said there on the slide. Our identities are male and female. We reflect the otherness and sameness of the triune God, and we radiate God's presence in the world because we are a sacred place of God's creation. So what do we do with transgender and gender dysphoria and all of that? That's a great question. But again, as I said in the beginning, all of this stuff of transgender, gender dysphoria is a result of the fall. People's identities have been impacted because they no longer see themselves as created in the image of God. They no longer see themselves as a place where God's presence is radiated out of. Our identity is what I feel today. But before we look down on those who struggle with transgenderism or gender dysphoria, let's remember that we're in a spiritual battle, and the battle is full on, and there's many of us in this room who may not deal with identity regarding our gender, but we deal with identity in other ways. Our identities and our possessions and our money. So our life doesn't radiate God, it radiates greed. So as we wrap up today, um, we need to remember that our identities are tied to our Creator. We are made in His image. And we are to radiate the presence of God in the community. And that since the fall, it has gotten all out of whack. But Jesus came and renewed and restored it all. So that you and I can walk completely, confidently in our identity. And our role in this world is first to pray. We've got to become people who are prayer. We're in a spiritual battle. Second, you need to know your identity. 
I shouldn't be pointing fingers. I tell you as a preacher, don't point a finger. You need to know your identity because you can't talk to anybody else about their identity until you have your identity lined up with God. So that begins with you and your relationship with God. Start there. Then pray. Pray some more. Then as you continue to grow in your identity, intentionally love those around you who are struggling with their identity. And as you intentionally do that, pray some more. And then when you build relationships with these people, introduce them to Jesus, because He is the source of our identity. And as you introduce them to Jesus, pray some more. And when they surrender their lives to Jesus, make disciples. Don't stop loving them. Love them more. And as they continue to struggle with their identity or struggle with anything else, love them more and pray for them more and walk beside them more because it's all about relationship. It's me loving God and me loving others. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again to restore and renew and rebuild. Thank you that we, in our maleness, in our femaleness, we, we reflect you, Father, and help us all to become just to walk in our community with intentionality to radiate you, your presence. So I pray for each person in this room. Holy Spirit, step into their world. Show them where the stuff that they need to work on. Bring restoration. And then send them out into the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.